0: Elliot Lurie is with me on uh, Rockstar Interviews. I'm Seaver. Looking Glass was your band, and uh, we're going to find out what's been going on all these years with the artist who wrote and sang the timeless song, Brandy, You're a Fine Girl. Uh, let's get to talking. Hello, Elliot Lurie. Hello. How are you? We're doing great over here in Chicago. And uh, when we're talking to uh, a guy who wrote a song that was used the way it was used in a movie, the way Brandy was in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Part 2, I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen a a song used in a movie quite the way uh, Brandy was used in this. It's not just a background song. It was actually part of the storyline.
1: Yeah, you know, um, I was really uh, amazed because I, I was approached uh, to use the song in the movie. And I had seen the first movie and I loved it and certainly loved the way they used all the 70s music in it. So I said, oh, yeah, let, let's by all means, let's approve it. And then they sent me the script pages and I looked at it and I said, well, wow, this is not just a background cue. This is this is part of the story. This is key, and I got to know the director James Gunn a little bit via email, and uh, he sent me the. Clips. um Once they had edited them, they, he sent me the clips where it's used, and I, I just thought it was fantastic. I loved it.
0: Yeah, it's over the top. I mean, you must have been over the moon when you found out because it's not only in the yeah. opening scene, but it's revisited later in the movie. Kurt Russell basically recites the lyrics to the whole thing, when, and sort of explains his place in the Marvel universe through the metaphor of the song "Brandy, You're a Fine Girl." Pretty, pretty crazy. It's pretty great.
1: It, it, was, it was pretty amazing. My wife and I were watching the clip, and at the at one point he said something uh, something like, uh, possibly Earth's greatest
0: competition. Yes. I
1: was, that. checking over when we heard him say
0: that. <laughs> uh, that must have been, you know, like maybe a highlight of your life. I mean, but uh, let's just... Uh, I mean, congratulations on the fact that it was used so so well, but it, it's it's a great story, first of all, the song, which is I think one of the reasons that it connects with audiences uh, brandy, you're a fine girl. well, that and the fact that you're uh your 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 beautiful baritone voice singing it. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, seriously, not a word is wasted. Every syllable drives the story, and uh, the way you sing it uh, just connects. and I know it was a big hit with radio. how did it how did it? get its way uh, to the ears of, of of the nation, of the world? How did, it, how did it happen?
1: Well, I'll tell you, we recorded it on our first album, and um, it was a little more pop than most of the things that Looking Last did. We had a little bit of a harder edge. So we were reluctant to release that as the first single because we thought it might give the wrong message about what the band was about. Mm-hmm. So we released something else, and it, nothing happened with it. And, uh, you know, Clive Davis, who ran the label, he said, well, Brandy, it should be the head." we were thinking about releasing it. In the interim, a promotion man from the record company played it for a disc jackie named Harvey Moore in Washington, D.C. He played it off the acetate before the album had even been pressed yet. And the disc track, he loved it and put it on the air in Washington, D.C. And, you know, the phones lit up and people started requesting it like crazy. And at that point, the record company, Epic, said, okay, well, let's go. Let's press it up and get it out there. And it uh, it spread. But um, if it hadn't been for that one promotion and one diss track, you might not have seen the light of the day.
0: Wow, wow, wow. And then it uh, it went up to number one and stayed on the chart for a number of weeks. Now, this was back in 1972. Uh, when you wrote it, uh, you were using uh, your then-girlfriend's name in lyrics, which was Randy, uh, and, of course, that can be a male or a female name. Uh, so you thought, well, Brandy, and as a, 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 a server in a bar, kind of makes sense. Uh, question, is Randy still living? Do you know her? Did you keep in touch with her?
1: Uh, we keep in touch periodically. She is alive and well. She lives up in Oregon, and uh, kind of later in her life, she took up uh, painting, and uh, became very good at it. And I actually have one of her paintings hanging in my music room. I'm looking at it as we speak.
0: <laughs> that is that is incredible. I, I think that is fantastic. Um, I love that. Um, now, the song connected in a big way. It's been covered by artists. A uh, pretty diverse uh, list of artists, such as Kenny Chesney and even the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So you get a little mailbox money off of that. Um, how did you find out when those artists or any artists... Uh, covered your song? Did you just hear it on the radio? Do they have to ask permission?
1: You don't have to ask permission to record a song once it's been released. The, the Kenny Chesney one, I think my music publisher made me aware of it. Um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers one, you know, it's only on a live album, right. I believe. I don't think they ever did a studio version of it. So someone just, uh, a friend called me and said, hey, I was at a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert and they played brand <laughs> i said um, really i didn't know they did that one but um yeah i i so they have a live uh, album that includes it but i don't think they've ever done a
0: studio version yeah i tried to find it uh, and the only thing i could find was uh the live version of brandy you're a fine girl by the red hot chili peppers but uh i was 10 in 1972 but it was perfect for me because i had just discovered am radio and my prized possession was a uh, clock radio, a sound design flip-digit clock radio. And uh, that song really, really, really hit home for me. Uh, and then I came to Chicago in the early 90s. And um, it's just a song that was totally embraced here uh, in the Midwest. We played it, and we still play it quite a bit on the, on the drive. Um, and then, of course, you had another song called Jimmy Loves Marianne, which was a, it's a great song, too. Well, I always
1: had a, a real, real uh Chicago holds a real good place in my heart because Chicago uh was the only major market where Jimmy Loves Marianne actually reached the top five. I think on one week it uh, reached number three on the great old W L S on the Big yeah. Stadio in Chicago. The big eighty nine. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm i uh, I'm I'm a very uh, very big fan of Chicago, and they they um, even made my second record a hit.
0: That's fantastic. Now I was uh, looking at some because Looking Glass was only together for what two years? Uh, we put out two albums. So,
1: you know, if you include the
0: time that we were a bar band before we recorded,
1: we were together for about six or seven years. Right. But we only put out two hours over the course of, I guess, three and a half years.
0: And then you split off in 74 to go solo, and I think, at least I, I tried to find, I, I know there is writings about an album you did with some, uh, some highly sought-after L.A. Session guys. Uh, I can't find it. Um, tell me where it is. <laughs>
1: I believe it exists currently as a Japanese import. And oh. That is the only place I've been able to find it. It's not on any of the streaming services or anything. Um, I have a couple of tracks that I snuck up on uh, on my YouTube channel. <laughs> so, so if you want to check them out, you can go there. I, have, I will. I, don't know if I actually have the right to do that, but hopefully nobody's listening who, who will stop that because it's only available in Japan, I think.
0: And you don't have rights to it yourself.
1: I believe it's still owned by the record government, I so. So, um, wow. but I but I speak it up there
0: every once in a while. Well, that's cool. I'm going to look for it. I don't know why I didn't check your YouTube channel in the first place, but uh, um, another, going back to um, Brandy, you're a fine girl. Do you have a boat? Are you nautical in any way?
1: I am not. When people <laughs> ask me that, they ask me, "Were you ever in the Navy? Were you ever in the Merchant Marine?" I tell them, you know, I was. I was born in Brooklyn, New York. I tell them the only boat I've been on is the Staten Island Ferry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you you uh, did that, uh, recorded a solo album, and then your next career happened. You were supervising music for film and TV, so you morphed into uh, a, a movie executive of sorts and became the. Uh, <laughs> the head of music at 20th Century Fox. Uh, same career path as guys like uh, Mark Mothersbaugh of Devo and Danny Elfman of uh, Oingo Boingo. Uh, tell us a little bit about that part of your career.
1: Yeah, I was very fortunate with that because I was kind of adrift after uh, after my solo album and a couple of singles didn't do anything. And I, and I was looking for something to do that would keep me involved with music in some way. And I had moved out to L.A. from New York and got real lucky. I met a couple of people who met a couple of people, as that usually goes. And um, I became a music supervisor, which is it's different than what Danny Elton does. Music supervisors don't actually compose the music for the films. But at that time in the mid 80s, when I got involved with it, uh, what the music supervisor did was try to put together successful soundtrack albums, play songs and movies. Mm-hmm. um make sure music videos were made that would promote the movie and the record um so that was kind of what the job was so it was sort of a one, one foot in the movie business and one foot in the record business I and see. it was really quite interesting
0: yeah it's a, it's it's a, it's interesting that you talk about you compiling uh movie soundtracks because sometimes when you uh dig into these movie soundtracks you come upon songs from artists that you know that you've never heard before, and they're good. Uh, it's a great place to, to to dig up music from bands you like and then have never heard, uh, and then you know bands you've never heard of. You, you you can just really find some good gems on movie soundtracks, and I think a lot of people overlook that.
1: Yeah, and it, and it's changed over the years because it used to be back before uh, before you know iTunes and and streaming and all. Uh, you know, a lot of co- times a, a movie soundtrack was just a compilation of pre-existing tracks, and you'd have a very su- uh, successful soundtrack album. Nowadays, of course, you can pick the individual songs uh, and get them. So um, those are not as successful as they used to be. But um, there are still great soundtracks that that compile existing things, have new things. There are, of course, you know, soundtracks to uh, musical movies. So um, you know, it, it's still a wonderful place to expose music.
0: Tell people uh, some of uh, the m- the movies that you uh, procured songs for their soundtracks.
1: Well, one of the early ones that was really a lot of fun to do was one called Nine and a Half Weeks. Oh, yeah. Um, that has a really great soundtrack if you can dig it out. Um, and then when I was at Fox, I worked on all their big movies like uh, Die Hard and the Home Alone movies and uh, all of those kinds of uh, big films. Um, Last of the Mohicans, which was a very interesting project at Fox with an interesting soundtrack album, um, and then later on, I uh, I supervised and also wrote the theme for a kids show on Disney called Lizzie McGuire. Okay, apparently still thrives on the Disney Channel Plus yeah. and all that. So, yeah. Uh, Man. yeah so uh, you know, yeah, it's a career you've had here. I, I, I had a 25-year career in that end of the business.
0: That's did, yes. that's incredible. So uh, now you have kind of gone full circle. You're you're still based in California, and you have returned it to your first love, which of course has been on hold for the past year, performing in front of an audience. That is where your focus is now.
1: Yeah, it's really great, because all that while that I was a music supervisor, I really kind of put the writing and the performing aside. And uh, after I kind of retired from that end of it, I said, OK, you know, you're, you're you're this age now, and you've got those careers behind you. What do you really want to do? And I picked up the guitar and got some of the chops that I had lost over <laughs> all those years. I got them back. I started singing a bit and writing a bit. And the real turning point was I was contacted by a group out of Atlanta called Yacht Rock Review. Now, I assume you're familiar with the genre of music known as Yacht Rock. Oh, yeah. And I'm a fan. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So so Yacht Rock Review is basically a great cover band out of Atlanta that focused on that kind of material. And they became so popular in the Southeast uh, that they started inviting some of the original voices on the re- songs that they performed to join them and perform them so i did a couple of shows with them along with uh, peter beckett from player mm-hmm. and uh, walter egan who did magnet and steel mm-hmm. and john ford coley from england dan and john ford coley and we would do these shows for yacht rock review and it was great great fun um you know you only had to do two or three numbers the band yacht rock review are a great band so they're a great backing band and that was kind of how I got my feet back in the water. And then, you know, since then I've been doing other kind of review shows. I still play with Yacht Rock Review every once in a while. And then I also have a little show that I do, uh, which is just like a singer-songwriter show, with just me and the guitar. And I do those in in small clubs, and um, uh, it's a lot of fun. That's a just, lot of stories.
0: That's just so cool. I mean, uh, you got so many stories to tell, and you got a song that everybody knows. Um, in Brandy, you're a fine girl. I mean, uh, you're gonna get back out and do some more performing. I hope soon. I'm sure you've. Uh, well, maybe I don't know. You've you've been fully vaccinated. I'm waiting for my second shot here. I mean, we're we're seeing the end of the tunnel of the, and hopefully we can, uh, you know, get out and see some. Uh, I haven't seen to. I have not seen a live show in well over a year, and I'm really itching to get back out there, as I'm sure you are too. Do you have any plans? Are you booking dates they're starting they're
1: starting to fill in there there are a couple of them that were postponed two or three times that now have dates uh, in the fall in october november which uh, hopefully as you say we'll we'll finally you know see the light at the end of the tunnel and both be able to happen yeah and they're starting to fill in most mostly for uh uh, the fall, although I do have one that is optimistically <laughs> booked uh, in, in July uh, for Las Vegas. So we'll see what happens with that one. But they'll, they'll start coming in. I think people are anxious to go out. I know I certainly am. But oh, it's not man. That was, uh you know in in March of 2019 so I'm looking forward to get out there again oh
0: you better believe it man it's been really fun talking to you uh Elliot Lurie of looking glass and now solo and your you know your movie executive career it's been quite uh quite a fun uh, talk that I've had with you and I uh, thank you for being with me uh on on Rockstar interviews
1: thank you my pleasure and uh, hi to everybody in Chicago I hope to see you soon